Welcome to Two Pete's in a Podcast, where we will talk about child health from birth right away through to adolescence, dealing with issues of illness, development, and everything else that is of importance. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Two Peas in a Podcast. We are currently talking about tonsillectomy with Dr. Ishmael Patel. Uh, with me, I have Simon Strawn and Dr. Ishmael. Simon, do you want to start us off? So then perhaps, Ishmael, we should talk about the complications. Now, as you've mentioned, we've been around a long time, uh, and we were always very concerned about the bleeding postoperative. And it was always around 10 to 14 days. So talk us a bit through, through not just the bleeding, but what are the complications and the warning signs that you would say to parents? Watch out for this. Come back when this happens. Simon, the major, I would describe it into major and minor complications. So the major complications we were always concerned about was the first one was infection, which means that they were not eating enough and they got a secondary infection. And what would this lead to? This would lead to those scabs falling off and resulting in uh, quite significant sometimes post-operative bleeding. And that is my worst disaster because you've got a child who's not eating well, who cannot open their mouth, and now suddenly they've got blood pouring out of their mouth. Can we just uh, just cut back one step there? Okay, we'll, we'll come back to that because I just want to understand what you're saying. Are you suggesting that the chance of bleeding is increased if those scabs at the back of the throat become harder than they should be. Because we mentioned earlier that it's wet and moist. Yes. So if children are not drinking sufficiently or eating sufficiently, it's going to increase the chance of bleeding. Is that what we're saying? Yes. So remember, the eating and the drinking actually acts as an excoriator or the little brush you would, uh, you would wash your dishes at the end of a meal. It actually cleans that area promoting healing, decreasing pain, and allowing the patient to heal quicker. So when you're not eating well, or when your child is not eating well, that cover or exudate or yellow-gray layer at the back of the throat becomes thicker and thicker. It becomes a nidus or source where infection can set in. And if it does fall off or break off, that's when it can bleed and result in quite significant post-operative bleeding. So, and you don't use antibiotics routinely in the operation or after the operation? Routinely, in the, intraoperatively, which means during the operation, we would give what is called a prophylactic dose of an antibiotic because we actually operating and, and introducing bugs into the bloodstream. But routinely, post-operatively, in my practice, Simon, we do not give antibiotics because it is not really necessary. The main thing about keeping the area clean is about eating and about uh, decreasing pain is about the pain and uh, uh, pain medication, which would include uh, include drugs that are like paracetamol or the non-steroidal drugs. That's our mainstay of treatment post-operatively. And if you go back to our podcast, the first five podcasts are on fever, literally episodes one to five. And in that, we go through very clearly the dosages of paracetamol and ibuprofen and other and non-steroidals. Just a, just a word here. So the antibiotic that is given intraoperatively is obviously given when the child is asleep. But the anesthetist and the surgeon would have asked about allergies and would know if the child had a penicillin allergy and would then give 
the correct antibiotic for the correct child. Yes, we that, that is the most important thing is we will ask about any allergies that the child would possibly have. There are recommended drugs that we use prophylactically, but we will alter this if the child has any allergies to the drugs that we may possibly use. And as you said in the last podcast, you said there was one word that was the most important. And then you went and said that word three times, and that is safety, safety, safety. Yes. So now mum's at home. Okay, I think we're at a good point now. So we're at home and baby's st- and mum starts to see bleeding. What do we do? Uh, immediately uh, contact your doctor or if, you, if he's unavailable, take your baby to the emergency unit. What can you do in the meantime? In the meantime, the best thing to do is to get hold of some water, add some ice into it, and just get your child to gargle with it or uh, and spit out as much as that blood. Do not encourage them at all to uh, to, to swallow the blood. Uh, remember in one of the previous uh, podcasts, we said that blood is one of the most irritating substances to the stomach. If they do start to swallow blood, then they will start to vomit. And if they vomit, it looks even worse now because you're just seeing all this blood coming out together with some vomit. It simply makes it even worse and it creates even more panic, both for the child and for the parents. So a simple rule, get them, encourage them if they are bleeding to spit and not to swallow and to start gargling just with some cold ice or water and uh and, and if it if it if it is excessive in any way immediately to take your child to the emergency unit at the hospital in the meantime if you can contact your surgeon already so by the time you arrive at the hospital he's able to meet you there because without without putting fear into people we're talking about perhaps a little bit of blood and a little bit of mucus in which case gargling or trying to swallow some very ice-cold water will cause some constriction of those vessels. Or you could even talk about a sudden massive bleed. Yes. Which is rare, but possible. That's why you're saying, if you're seeing proper blood come out, don't wait. Just react and get to hospital. Yes. And, and the reason it is, is because kids in general, based on their size, has differing volume. So what may not seem a lot of blood in one child could be uh, quite a significant bleed in another child. So quantifying it like we do in adults can be difficult in kids. So this is why without us uh, going into the details of how much blood you contain when you're young and when you're old, if you see it and if it worries you as a parent, your gut feel is enough to tell you, take your child to the hospital, that's what we want you to do. We will rather make and ascertain whether it's an important bleed or not. But if you're worried and if you are concerned, rather come to the hospital. Yep. And then in some, some situations at the hospital, we might be able to put up an IV line on the child and give some medication and stop the bleeding like that. But as you just said now, if your decision is that this is a significant bleed, you sometimes have to take the back to theatre, right? Yes. And that's the most difficult and most dangerous anesthetic, Simon. Remember on one of our podcasts, I spoke about a shared airway. The anesthetist uh, uh, looks after the breathing and I look after the surgery. 
this is one of those emergencies where the anesthetist is in uh, I stand by because we've got already the field there's just a lot of blood in the field and we don't want any of that blood to go into the lungs so as we putting that baby to sleep it is important to make sure that the blood is under control so this is one of the most dangerous dangerous anesthetics to actually have is a bleeding child post tonsillectomy bleed uh, and this is why an experienced anesthetist with me standing by we go into theater intubate the child and then I can uh, what's interesting Simon in most of these cases once we've put the child under theater into theater and with all the drugs because we automatically lower the blood pressure it's amazing all the bleeds generally stop but it's still important we explore the entire area and stop any possible areas of bleeding even though in most cases the actual source of bleeding may sometimes not be visible. I think let's take a break for this week again. Next week, let's talk about the follow-ups and then we can wrap up the whole tonsillitis uh, podcast. Thanks for your time. The children have allowed you to. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. If you found this of value, please be sure to sign up to our email list at www.careforkids.co.za and that's the numeral four and subscribe in your favorite podcast app or follow us on Facebook at Two Peter in a Podcast at Two Peter in a Podcast TWO, not the numerical two This is our disclaimer The information we have given you in this podcast is our own personal professional opinion We're giving it to you for your own information Please don't use it to treat yourself or to treat anybody else. Rather, go and see your own medical healthcare provider and follow their advice.